Welcome to Only Human, a podcast from Don't Forget the Bubbles. This is Henry Goldstein with Becky Platt, and these are the stories that reflect the diversity of our community and the multitude of life events that come our way that shape us as professionals and as humans. Dr. Quiva Costigan is a paediatric nephrology trainee from Ireland. Her story is about her father and a bicycle ride. My parents are separated for a number of years now, and my dad moved only recently to a place called Moneygall, which is kind of halfway between Limerick and Dublin, I guess. We're neither of us are like professional cyclists by any manner or means, but we both like cycling and we had done a bit like we had done like mostly like kind of in the summertime, you know, a bit here and there. And the year before we had done the Ring of Kerry, which is like a big tourist area or a big like a loop around the Kerry, basically. But it's a big charity cycle that they run every year. It's really cool. It's 180 kilometers. Everybody sets out at like seven o'clock in the morning. Everybody in the different villages or towns that you stop in are, you know, engaged in the cycle. There's big food stalls and all sorts of things set up. So we had done that the year before. So that's usually in June. And... That was probably the big first big kind of cycling event thing that we had done together. And I remember kind of being slightly worried that it was, you know, dad hadn't done that much training really coming up to it. But sure, he was grand. He flew off. I was uh, at one point, we there was a, quite a big group of us doing it. And he got separated at one point. And I was kind of saying to the girl that I was cycling with, like, oh, should we wait? You know, I wonder where he is. And then eventually I texted him and sure he was ahead of us. He had somehow skipped ahead of us. <laughs> so we had to go extra fast at the next that point because we couldn't possibly have him beating us to the end. So it ended up being an absolute race up this, what's called Mall's Gap, which is like a really big hilly part of it. And I remember he had like, he was like, I'll just set off from the rest stop. I'll meet you at the end. And I was like, you will not. <laughs> I am going to catch you. You're not finishing ahead of me. So I was absolutely racing to the top to catch him. And I caught him in the end. So we finished together. But not every ride was racing around the Ring of Kerry. On this weekend, Quiva went to visit her dad. It's a nice area for cycling around. You know, it's 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 quite rural and quiet country roads and stuff. So he brought the bike down and we would have gone for a couple of cycles when I had gone down to visit or whatever. So we've probably done a bit more cycling that particular summer. That morning, I remember driving up and it was miserable weather. It was like really, really dark and rainy. And I kind of, my motivation for cycling was low. Um, so I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I'll go, I'll bring the bike and everything, but like, maybe I'll go um, if it's this rainy. But I remember like I drove in the driveway and dad was standing on the front door in all of his cycling gear, like waving. And I was like, oh no, I'm not going to get out of this. <laughs> we cycled maybe 10 kilometers, maybe 15 kilometers, something like that, to a little town called Clock Jordan, which is not that far from Moneygall. And dad had brought a, like a, a little lunch bag thing that he had tied onto his saddle somehow. And in it, he had put like a mini Magnum ice cream. So I was like, what are you doing bringing ice cream on a cycle? Like, it's obviously going to be melted. But anyway, so I knew that he had brought that. So we stopped when we got to Clock Jordan and we said we'd have the ice cream or or, you know, we'd have a break and he had kind of like been a bit slow, I guess. 
But it had been a good few weeks, probably a couple of months since we'd been out cycling before. So I just thought it was probably, you know, a bit slow. He said, like, when we stopped, we were standing just on the side of the road. And he was like, I I don't actually really want the ice cream. He's like, I don't feel, he didn't say he didn't feel well, but he's like, I don't really feel like it. And he said, God, I'm very unfit. I just can't get my breathing right. And... I said, he looked fine at this point. It didn't even enter my mind that there was anything wrong. He was 66 at the time. He had just turned 66 like the week before. You know, he's a slim guy, doesn't smoke. I said, well, do you want to go back? We can just go back the way we came um, if you're tired. Because I was kind of conscious that my sisters are always like, don't be running dad into the ground now. You know, he is in his 60s. And like they would have said, like, don't don't give him a heart attack. You know, don't be making him cycle. And I'd be like, he's grand. Like, so I was kind of conscious of them saying things like, that so I was like no we don't have to push it like if you're tired we go back and he was like no no I'm fine I'm fine I ate my magnum and he didn't need his and we got on the bikes and we cycled a bit more it wasn't that much further along and it was windy and it was kind of rainy so he was kind of slotted in behind me because we were kind of going up a slight hill I guess I was cycling along and I kind of looked back then and he wasn't behind me anymore I got off the bike and I could see then that he was 20 or 30 meters behind me and he had gotten off his bike and was walking with the bike. Like I kind of knew something was wrong then when I saw him, you know, that would be very unusual for him to admit defeat, you know, that even if he was wrecked, he would never normally stop, you know, or get off the bike. It just wouldn't. So I cycled back and I was like, are you okay? And he was still like, you know, he was walking and he was pushing the bike and he was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just, I, I just can't get my breathing right. You know, he was like, I'll be grand in a minute. I just need to catch my breath. He kind of, we put the bikes down and I said, will I ring Sheila? Sheila is my dad's wife. I was like, will I ring Sheila to come and collect us? He was like, yeah, maybe do that, which I was like, oh, no, he's definitely not feeling well. He looked terrible at this point. You know, he looked really pale. And I was like, oh, God. And then I said, will I ring Sheila or will I ring an ambulance? Like, are you really not feeling well? And he was like, no, no, just ring Sheila. I'm fine. I'm fine. So I rang Sheila and I knew I'm sure she was really worried when I rang her because that she would know that that was also very strange for him to be admitting to not feeling well enough to be collected. I said to her, dad's not feeling well, we come and collect us. And she said, yeah. And I remember saying to her, it's like, will you try and hurry like as quickly as you can? And so I then just got off the phone and I sent her the location because I didn't really know where we were, you know, so I, you know, you can send your location on WhatsApp. So I dropped a pin and I sent it. Then I went back to dad and I was like, dad, at this point he kind of he had started to get sick like he was like like retching kind of and i was like maybe he's got like gastro or something you know like but he really looked bad and then he's like i just need to sit down so he sat down against the wall i was like dad have you any pain in your chest or anything and he's like no like he's like no i'm fine i'm fine i kept saying that he was fine and then he tried to get up and he kind of fell over kind of stumbles so then he was kind of sitting on the ground and then it was like it was really like in a movie or something where somebody literally just like puts his, he put his hand on his chest and he just fell backwards and was clearly unconscious then i knew we were in big trouble i had my phone in my hand because i had been calling sheila so you know i like shook him or whatever and i was you know shouting at him and like i never thought in my head he's in cardiac arrest you know it starts like i 
it wasn't really like that. I just started doing CPR because you just, I don't know, I didn't really know what else to do. I just, that's just what I did. So I put my phone, I rang like 999 on my phone. I said to them, uh, my dad has collapsed and I'm doing CPR. And they said, you know, well, I can't remember what they asked me, but they, you know, various things, you know, like, how old is he? Where are you? And I kind of said, look, I don't know where we are. And we're, I said, we were cycling and we cycled here. We cycled to Clock Jordan. And then we, it's like, I remember saying to them, like, you know, we were at the Spar, which is a, like a convenience store. And I was like, then we turned left and we cycled for maybe like three minutes and then we're there. So I'm like, we're on that road. I don't know where that is. Uh, and so, that was fine and then he was kind of saying to me you know what are you doing or whatever and I said to him I'm a doctor and I'm doing CPR and he he was really good you know because I like at a few times he made kind of weird noises you know kind of like some agonal breaths and stuff and I kind of was like it's really off-putting because you're you're kind of like am I panicking here like should I be not doing CPR like or what should I be doing and he was really good to be like no just keep doing like is he breathing and I was like no he's not breathing keep doing CPR so I kept I you know it's just it was really good to hear that you know just to have somebody to be like you're doing the right thing just keep doing it uh, but then he kept asking me he's like is there anything around that could tell you where you are. No, like we're, there's a field. He was like, anything at all? Is there like a house? Then that's when I was like, well, actually, like I had my back to the gateway, but there was a little house there. So I was like, actually, there's a house. At this point, I don't even like telling this part of the story because I still think, oh God, should I have done this? Because I probably shouldn't have. But I was thinking like, they're not going to be able to find us. And you know, what are we going to do if nobody can find us? And I can't, you know, how, how long can I do this for? I I remember looking at the door of the house and thinking I was doing compressions yeah. and breaths so I was like okay it's probably you know like I don't know maybe 10 meters away if even and if I do my compressions skip the breaths run to the house and open the door and then run back how long will I be off the chest for probably the same amount of time as if I were doing the two breaths so that's how I rationalized it in my head and so so that's what I did and I mean I know I've done all my APLS you know you're not supposed to go off the chest all the time you know all that I do know it made a call and that's what I did so I ran to the door of this house and luckily it was not locked and I just opened it and shouted help help or whatever and like kind of almost as I was running back to be honest and all these dogs came running out of the house by the time then this lady came out I was already back on the chest doing compressions and so this elderly lady came out and was like oh my god like what is going on and she came over and I said to her I was like I just need you to tell this person where we are and she picked up the phone and she was like I don't I don't know how to use these phones and I was like you don't need to use it I was like you just have to talk anyway your man it was on speaker so the guy on the other end started talking and then she went kind of to the road to explain where we were but anyway so then it was this lady whose name I don't actually even know who was talking to the the paramedic on the phone and me doing the compressions it was like that then for probably another 15 or 20 minutes yeah she came back and like you know it was it was nice that she was there then because then we knew they were on the way you know and and the guy was he said to us you know they're they're on the way they're on the way and she was just there and it's funny because like it's quite a lot of time if you're just doing compressions and there's nothing else then she started like she started talking to me and she was like what's his name and you know I told her my dad's name and then she asked she was like 
where is he from? <laughs> like I was like, but well, he's from Monegal, but he's actually originally from Ross Cray, which is up mm. the road. And she was like, oh yeah, Costigan from Ross Cray. I think I knew your grandmother. And like, I was like doing CPR on the side of the road, having this conversation about my grandmother with this lady. It was just, this actually happening. <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was obviously not funny situation, but it, it was a funny scenario, I guess. And it was nice to have her there <laughs> to just, kind of talk I guess it's very hard to know the timeline of like you know how long each of those parts took but I know that from the time that when I looked back at it from when I made the phone call to the time that the first people arrived was 22 minutes the whole the whole thing um when we were when it was just the three of us yeah so the guards which are the police were the first people to arrive a guard a car pulled up and three guards came out they had just a small defibrillator like the one you know you do for a first aid or whatever so they they came over and I remember thinking that they looked really young and they were like we'll take over and I was like uh um well has anyone done CPR before and they kind of all looked a bit shocked and so I was basically like no you're not doing it but at the same time I was kind of conscious that I had now I knew I had been doing it for a long time and Mm. I remember being worried that I didn't feel tired I remember thinking like am I not like because I've done CPR before and you do get really tired you know like quite quickly and I didn't feel tired at all so I was like am I not doing this right you know why am I not tired but I guess it was probably just the adrenaline because I just didn't feel tired at all I knew that it like I had it in my head that the longer I'm doing this probably the less efficient my compressions are so I probably need to let these guys take over so anyway a third guard had come he had he was basically like I, I can take over he's like I, I've done CPR before so he took over and then I just did the airway and he did the compressions and we managed that way so it was just funny like I just remember thinking like before they had got there felt like a long time you'd, of just waiting you know the lady talking and stuff was was part of it but you know there's a lot of it where you're just saying nothing and doing nothing and just every everything is quiet and you know you're just just doing compressions and but I guess like you just think about just do it as well as you possibly can you know this this has to be the best compressions that you ever did because you know if you can do them perfect like I remember thinking like no people you know people can survive like out of hospital cardiac arrests and do okay if they have good quality CPR and I remember being like what what is good quality CPR so I just need to get my rate right and I need to get my depth right like that is that those are the only two things that I can do I can't do anything else like I mostly was thinking about just keep going maybe it will be okay you know like very aware that a the survival from out of hospital cardiac arrest is is not good and b the quality of outcome is probably not good either you know so did I discreetly think about those things I don't know Uh, but definitely like then as time went on like that was all early on like after the guards came and they put the defib on and it said no shock advice the start you know the way it does it's analyzing or whatever and it was no shock advice continue CPR so we continued CPR and it did that I think it did that a couple of times and then a fire brigade arrived with the more paramedics and they had the proper defibrillator so they changed it to that and they kind of took over totally at that point when they got there I completely kind of stepped back they 
like intubated them and you know they continued doing CPR and they had the proper defib on but they still weren't able to shock him like quite a few times there was no shock advice and I was like Sheila's gonna arrive here now there was loads of people there now like the fire truck there was like two ambulances there was the guards uh, so I told them just to keep an eye out for her uh, but she hadn't got there yet and I remember being like trying to get them to, <laughs> to give him adrenaline I was like why aren't you giving him adrenaline you know someone needs to put in a line like I, I'll put in the line myself and like it was funny like they're obviously probably used to panicked relatives being around and they were just basically ignoring me at this point and i was like rooting through their bags trying to find stuff to put in an iv line and there was no iv lines to be found which was weird but eventually they put in an io and i remember one of them to be like he has an io now we've given him adrenaline and i was like yeah about time <laughs> like come on anyway then eventually somehow the, the shocks started to be advised and he got a few shocks then they put on the Lucas device, like, you know, the compression, like the machine thing. So they had that on him and he was intubated. The longer that went on, the more I kind of, I guess I had a bit of time to process what was happening. And I was getting more worried, you know, cause I was like, this is really long now. And like, as it got third shock, fourth shock, continue CPR, they were kind of all looking at each other. You know, this, we're gonna have to call this, you know, this may, like, I don't know, maybe I imagine that, but I do remember feeling like, no, you can't stop, do not stop and then somehow they did it you know he got shocked and then somebody shouted that they could feel a pulse if I was one of them I probably would have been also giving that look you would for sure but then at the same time I was shouting at them like don't stop please don't stop which you know in work and things when you you know what's best that we stop or whatever and I, I don't know maybe they weren't even looking at each other like that I don't know maybe I imagined it but I just uh, I thought that they were he, you know things started to settle down and you know he then he had a blood pressure and things started to to be a bit more calm Finally, the helicopter arrives, and Quiver and her father are transported to the local hospital, the cath lab. You got a stent, and, you know, we really didn't know at that point what the outcome was going to be. You know, at this point, he was alive, and that's all we kind of cared about at that stage. But yes. I guess then he went to ICU, and the next few days, and what turned out to be weeks, were, were really uncertain, I guess. He had like an aspiration pneumonia and he had a few oh. things and he was on a lot of a lot of inotropes and stuff the first few days. And like it was really every time I went in, it felt like the inotropes were like up a notch and we were quite worried about him surviving those first few days by the time he was extubated for a prolonged period it was three weeks from when it had first happened it was only at that point when he got to Dublin they decided to do an MRI brain and the neurology guys saw him that his legs weren't moving he seems from here up you know to be perfect he's appropriate you know when they wean the sedation or whatever but they said his legs there was a problem and that you can get a spinal artery infarct from prolonged downtime in a cardiac arrest and they thought that maybe that that's what was going on so he ended up having an MRI. Amazingly he not only survived he has made a striking recovery. He's delighted. Like, that's what he wanted to do. So he loves work. He was back 
10 months, maybe 10, 11 months after it happened. We can't take any massive credit for how well he did because he really did it all, you know, himself. He can stand up now and he can walk with crutches, uh, all stuff that we would never have thought that he would have been able to do from the beginning. Yeah, like he's really, I think it's just, I really think it's just his pure determination, you know, and he seems to still be making improvement three years later now. I mean, it's, it's great to see him. He's back, he's driving, you know, and he's really independent and it's great I always thought about going back to that lady's house to thank her because she was really helpful and like we sent a message to her but I never went back there thanks for listening you can find more episodes of Only Human as well as details of events courses and articles at don'tforgetthebubbles.com until next time